Today on Sagittarian Matters, a smorgasbord. Food reviews, misogyny, how to be a feminist man, Lisa Vanderpump's World Dog Day, Shark Tank, bleeding in a lift, eating food out of the trash, and more. Stay tuned. Sagittarian Matters. Sagittarian Matters. What's the Hello from Berkeley, California. I want to tell you a couple of things. Number one, I just posted an alternate ending to Calling Dr. Laura on my Patreon page. Number two, Chelsea Johnson is on the show today to talk about her memories of Beja George's. Chelsea used to be my next door neighbor. She is an incredible writer and her book Stray City is coming out next year. Please enjoy my short talk with Chelsea Johnson. Chelsea Johnson, will you please tell me about your first understanding of Beja George's, whether or not you knew that's who it was? Well, Nicole, I had just moved to Portland from Brooklyn. It was the early 2000s, and I had gone to this bike shop called Velo Shop that I think at the time was on MLK or something. And uh, while I was waiting for my bike repair to be completed, I was standing and looking at all the flyers pasted in the windows to try to get a sense of what my new hometown was going to be like. And there I read a very fascinating little manifesto drawn by what turned out to be you and um it was it was saying don't pet me and it had this great drawing of this little cute dog who of course was beja although i didn't know it at the time and describing uh, it, it sort of put forth this idea of animalhood that i had never thought about before which was there it sort of it was a very feminist take on what it's like to be in, in an animal body um very similar to uh what it's like to be in a female body and have um unwanted touch and attention from strangers So on the one hand, my knee-jerk reaction was to want to kind of laugh at it, like, look how seriously this is taking, you know, how far this can go. Oh, Portland. And on the other hand, it actually completely changed the way that I approached dogs I didn't know from then on, and just the way that I thought about how I handled dogs' bodies. Um, So that was my first introduction to Beja and to you, although I think it would be several months or even a couple of years before we actually met in person. But I never forgot that poster. And in fact, when you were drawing your book, I think I said, you need to put that poster in there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because it had made such a strong impression on me. How did it change how you interacted with dogs? Well, it meant that I thought more about just going up to a dog I didn't know and touching it and realizing that, um, you know, animals have their own kind of sense of space and autonomy. And some dogs love to be petted. Um, I had grown up with a black lab who was a slut for love from anyone. And some dogs uh, just feel more private and just don't want want to be handled. So I was just much more judicious in in how I approached them. And I thought more about their feelings and their needs and not just my own need to lay my hands on their fur. Oh my God. I love that. (laughs) Do you remember the first, do you remember what it was like to be Beja's neighbor? (laughs) I was so delighted when you and Beja moved into Little House four doors down from my own. When Beja was my neighbor, I was always happy to see her. I would often um, walk by and see you drawing in the window and holler in and be like, come down to the park with me and Emmett. And oftentimes you wouldn't come because you were in the middle of drawing, but sometimes you would. And mostly, I loved seeing Beja at your house. I sometimes would go over and, and feed her when you were away for a while or whatever. Uh, but um, And I also loved taking Beja to the park. And I also had an ongoing and abiding concern for Beja's well-being because <laughs> I didn't know. You never knew like what kind of scrap she was going to get herself into. 
Oh, yeah. Do you remember when the pit bull down the street attacked her? Baby? Baby. <laughs> I do. I felt so bad. I had long also been worried about baby. I worried about all the neighborhood dogs, apparently, because I knew them all so well from going to the Arbor Lodge dog park, where you didn't know any human names, but you knew all the dogs' names. Um, yes, I remember Beja's face being shredded to bits. And, uh, yeah. How would you describe the way Beja looks? <laughs> in general, mm-hmm. she looked like something that had been like inflated and then slightly deflated. What do you mean? <laughs> like that whatever Sharpay was in her. And then her nose was a little bit puffy. Mm-hmm. But not like fully puffy the way a Sharpay's is. Just a little bit puffy. Yeah. Like a souffle that had just started to collapse. <laughs> and then she also had those great bat wing ears. And then this kind of long, low rider body. And this very like uh, sturdy, jaunty, purposeful trot. Oh, yeah. Do you remember the scars on her face? Did those ever make an impression on you? Oh, yeah. She looked like a little street fighter. (laughs) (laughs) I took those for granted, but people have been like, oh, it looks like she got her face through a windshield. (laughs) What? Because she just was covered in scars. Yeah, you either assume she'd been a bait dog or she had really fucked some other dogs up. (laughs) But neither were she made herself a bait dog. Like we would be in totally normal spaces and she would throw a vibe like, fuck off. And then dogs (laughs) would just jump her and she'd be like, no, no. Bark. <laughs> yeah. That was the worst thing. She was a trouble magnet, and she never really wanted the trouble. No. It was like something she couldn't help. Yeah. <laughs> but she did get along with your dog, and Emmett was one of her good friends. Oh, and she and Emmett were dear friends. Emmett loved Beja. Beja was like, Emmett's, like, really cool. That's right. <laughs> we talk, we're talking about her voice on the podcast last week. Oh, yeah. Which is, Brandy thought her voice sounded like Mama Fratelli from the Goonies, <laughs> or like a truck driver. But, like, when she met her, she was talking, like, Taylor Swift, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> she had a little vocal fry. Yeah. <laughs> she had a little bit of vocal fry. She was the original vocal fry. Totally. Totally. It was really sweet, especially compared to Lamb Chop's, like, militaristic grandpa voice. Oh, hey. <laughs> I guess Lamb Chop was with me when I moved into Little House, so you met him. Yeah. Uh, I will have a dog seance someday on the podcast. But, uh, Chelsea, <laughs> do you have any last memories of Beja mm. to share with the audience? I remember her birthday party in oh. your yard. Oh, no, that wasn't. Sorry, that wasn't her birthday party. That was Lamb Chop's funeral party. Oh. <laughs> and Mr. Quinceañera. But I remember Lamb Chop's funeral party, and uh, one of the one of the favors for guests was you could take a little pin that said um, that I got bit by Lamb Chop, mm-hmm. right? And uh, Beja was there presiding, still the queen. And, uh, yeah, you never would have guessed that, that she had been considered the bad dog because Lamb Chop kind of stole her thunder, I think. Well, Lamb Chop actually bit people. Beja just, yeah. people thought she was trying to bite them Mm -hmm. but she wasn't yeah and the way i know she wasn't is because i had a dog that actually intended to bite you and followed through with biting yeah which was lamb chop (laughs) totally he was the real menace even though he was a short little wiener he was a an old wiener dog who had gone on tour with a band in the 90s and so he bit people from coast to coast (laughs) and so he bit over 100 people in his lifetime so that's why at his funeral i made a series of buttons that says i've been bit by lamb chop yep Meanwhile, poor Beja with her scarred face just hung out in the grass, like enjoying the atten- the full 100% attention of all the humans because she was now the star dog again. Little did she know I would soon be getting her a senile little sister <laughs> named Wishbone. For which she was no doubt exceedingly grateful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, 
Chelsea, thank you for coming on the podcast and talking about Beja. I loved Beja. I thought she was a fantastic dog, and she always made me laugh, and I thought she was super, super sweet. And she had a really cool fur texture, too. Oh. It was kind of like velour, but a little longer and bristlier. That's kind of you to say. Yeah. <laughs> is your book coming out in October? March. March. Stray City is coming out in 2018. Yeah. Put it in your planner now, and then you can. we'll talk, we'll talk later, closer right. to the date. Okay, bye. <laughs> Rocco Kayatis is the co-founder of Original Plumbing Magazine. He used to rap under the name Catastrophe, he used to work at BuzzFeed, and currently he's spending his life auditioning as my Amazing Race partner. Please enjoy our talks about gender, misogyny, how to be a cool feminist dude, vegan white chocolate, and more. Rocco Kayatis, welcome to Sagittarian Matter. Thanks. Thanks for having me again. <laughs> Please state your sign and your gender. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm a Libra with a Sag rising and an Aquarius moon, but it's cuspy. It's on the cusp of Pisces. Um, and I am, uh, can I say the, I'll say the short version of my gender and the long version because I'm queer. So it's like a sentence long identity. Yeah. But um, listeners only have so much time in the day so do your best okay i'm a man (laughs) of trans experience i'm a man of trans experience what are the other what are all the other words uh i'm in a straight relationship and i am culturally queer culturally queer yeah because i don't i know that a lot of trans guys i shouldn't say a lot i know some trans guys have the experience of feeling like disconnected from their history um, or past as female identified um, because many of them didn't identify as female. But I, as a teenager, for most of my young life, I thought that I was male. It was very confusing for me. I had a twin sister. I saw her having a gender experience that was really unlike my gender experience. And then when I realized that I was gay, then I realized that there was such a thing as a butch And after that, I was like, oh, my God, my gender identity is butch. And I loved being a butch dyke. Fucking loved it. It was so righteous to me. It felt like the most intensely righteous identity a person could have. And in part, it was the reactionary part was that I hated men. So it felt like this beautiful kind of marrying of like, I'm a butch woman and I fucking hate men. And it was just like uh, two sides of a coin, like the two just married in this way that felt exactly like my uh, my identity, which was a butch dyke man hater. But look at you now. Yeah. Well, transitioning, I had to come to terms with why I hated men. And I had to do a really serious deep dive into what it was about men holistically that made me angry. And mostly it was just misogyny. And it's not that I hate men. I hate misogyny. And that doesn't just come in the package of men. And it, it, to me, at this point in my life, I medically transitioned about a uh, little over 17 years ago. And so it's a long fucking time. And I'm not that old. Yeah. So I was, I was relatively young. You're only 18 now. <laughs> <laughs> I transitioned when I was one. <laughs> but that one year of being a butch baby was hard. <laughs> I fucking hated my dad. <laughs> um... Oh my God, Tanya! 
My producer just started rolling around on his lap under her back. I don't know what she's doing right now. She's just trying to get the guest to really open up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so part of transitioning was really just about doing a deep dive into why I hated men and what misogyny was and where it lived inside of me. Because I know that I myself had some level of unchecked misogyny that informed my own gender identity. I think that we react to that uh, cultural and um, intimate kind of misogyny in different ways. And as queer people, we do a more intensive kind of deep dive into that as we explore our own gender and sexuality. So I didn't really get gender, you know, growing up in Kansas, I was like, you're gender, you're a boy or a girl. That's, you know, but, um, you know, growing up, I had a moment of being a, I call myself a teen misogynist because I was surrounded by guys. I was like one of those girls that was like, I'm mostly hanging out with guys. <laughs> I hung out with mostly punk boys. And at the time, you know, stop playing with the dog. At the time, <laughs> <laughs> like Riot Girl was happening, not in Kansas, but my guy friends would all make fun of Kathleen Hanna mm. and talk about, like mimic her spoken word, being like, me, 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 me and like make fun of her like talking about getting like molested and stuff um and then i saw so i saw whenever women spoke even like powerful women they would treat them like they were stupid or taking up too much space that wasn't theirs and i was like well i want them to listen to me and take me seriously so i started like kind of trying to operate as a guy a little bit you know not consciously but i was like well i don't want to be girly or feminine because then no one will listen to me and everything i and they'll think i'm stupid so i was like well what's not stupid i was like being a guy isn't stupid Mm. through the through the lens of these guys so i like shaved my head and i like was really bummed that i had boobs and i was like mom can i get a reduction as soon as i'm 18 thank you (laughs) um but then you know male privilege did not cascade down upon me because that's not how it worked then. Doesn't does, still doesn't actually work that way. Totally. For butch women, don't actually get yeah. get a hand up in the world. Yeah, uh, and, tra- and arguably, uh, a lot of trans men don't either. Because you can't shed that feeling of what it was like to be. Uh, you know, not everyone feels this way, but I feel I was socialized female. The world received me as other. Sometimes they'd be like, "What is that? A boy or a girl?" But that's still that other kind of thing is a whole other separate type of gender identity of like your gender is a question mark where you know your parents are getting asked. But then also as female in classes in the world, uh, as a butch woman, especially people are just like, "What the fuck?" We'll sit you at the back of the restaurant. So that kind of like level of in uh, external interaction doesn't go away that ghost kind of stays with me and in me forever which is the culturally queer part because i wasn't born or assigned at birth i wasn't assigned male at birth and then a cis straight white man uh experience of youth and that kind of like freedom of like you're good you're valuable that wasn't my experience my experience was to you know similar to a female experience of like you're not good you're not valuable you'll never be enough um the world doesn't care what you have to say or think about or any of that so that doesn't go so i think like for a lot of trans men too like their earning capacity isn't the same their expectations their expectations of like when they're trying to get a job or trying to get ahead in the world that like uh female treatment still lives in them and they don't have that same level of entitlement oh no i'm still going to finish my gender story yeah sorry it's okay so, we've, we've, so male. <laughs> the man, a man, a man is speaking. Please, please. <laughs> okay, so then, but so so uh, that didn't work. Didn't work out for me. And also, I was like, why don't any guys want to date me? 
because I like looked like the like fugliest guy. No offense to me, but um, but it wasn't until I met adult women who were kind of riot girls, former riot girls, like women with different genders that all were powerful, and I got to work in an all female environment without a lot of guys around. That I was like, oh, my gender can be whatever I want it to be. And then when I went gay, fully a couple years later, not just by curious, I was like great. I was like, I can grow up my mustache. I don't have to bleach my mustache anymore. And then I felt when I was in an all female space and there was no male gaze, I felt comfortable being feminine, mm-hmm. wearing dresses every day, playing around with makeup, like being more of a feminine person because it almost feels like drag to me. Mm-hmm. Like it's, I'm not doing it to please a man. I don't really care mm-hmm. what men think. Uh, but it, it allowed me the freedom to explore my gender and to take hold of femininity that I think I didn't want to do when I was around more dudes, mm-hmm. cis dudes, straight dudes, because I felt like they had something to do with it. Yeah. Wow. That makes so much sense. I've never put that framework around it, but for me too, like when, as a teenage tomboy and butch, I hung out with mostly straight guys, um, gross straight guys too. One guy was like the lizard King. He lived with his grandma, sold <laughs> swords, lizards, and weed, you know? <laughs> Just to paint the picture. So there was always lizards and a lot of weed and um, mostly gross guys and me. And um, and I think that, that when I left that and went on tour with Sister Spit, I was 18 or 19, 19, either way. I was around 18 and it took that like month and a half, two months on the road with mostly queer women that end, the whole tour culminated at the Michigan Women's Music Festival and it was like the second or third year of camp trans across the way. I met a trans guy for the first time. I was disgusted. I was horrified. I was like, what the fuck? Why can't you just be a righteous butch? But then, you know, I molded over and a year later I, I transitioned. But before that, it took like being in that safe, comfortable space of nothing but queer women to kind of understand and hold me to feel like I could be who I authentically was. And that was male which is super complicated to think about. It took being surrounded only by women to understand that I could be the man that I wanted to be. Yeah. Well, let's talk about misogyny. What Before is- that, can I say, yeah. the, the type of man that I am also is that I'm emotionally and spiritually a lesbian forever. I re- That's something I really appreciate about you. I appreciate that we can both eat oatmeal together, <laughs> that we can lesbian process about things together, and it doesn't affect your manhood. No, if anything, it's essential to the type of man I am. Yeah. I never want to let go of my lesbian roots. All of my favorite poets, all of my favorite artists, everyone is a lesbian. Everyone that I feel like has contributed to culturally to uh, raising me or raising my awareness or raising my vibration is a lesbian. And largely like butch, obscure butch lesbian writers are my favorite writers. So that culture is not preserved either. And I feel like it's our duty, anyone who ha- is touched by the lives of of radical queer women um, to preserve that. Because again, misogyny is so pervasive that even in our culture, we forget to kind of raise up the, the female voice and the female, you know, art and power that exists and, and is a part of the vibrant queer culture. Yeah. I have kind of a pet theory about that where I think that, you know, the culture kind of, you know, came around to understanding and accepting homosexual men. Mm-hmm. They were like, okay, like it took a pandemic mm-hmm. for them to be like, gay men are human beings. Oh, I just saw the movie Philadelphia. Gay men are human beings. Yeah. And then 
you know, but butch lesbians never really had a moment. So like, you know, it was like that. And now America is like trans exists and these people are humans. We're starting to learn. Uh, but there was never a moment where, you know, middle America or anyone like there was never like a moment where a butch was in the spotlight as a butch. Uh, yeah. I mean, like you have Ellen DeGeneres wearing makeup. She's got to make herself just palatable enough, right? Yeah, but she doesn't get – like Rachel Maddow doesn't get to go on screen wearing her glasses and a hoodie. She has to be kind of spackled with some makeup. So Mm -hmm. I do feel like, you know – Still presenting as like traditionally like uh, recognizably female. Yeah. So I feel like we do have to really take special care to remember that butches exist and that they made a contribution to the world and not – And continue to, right? And and like – and as they go the way the dinosaur – yeah. Because some people that, you know, maybe would have been butch in the 70s are transitioning now because... Or identifying as um, gender nonconforming, right? Because yeah. that's an option. <clears throat> and that option didn't exist 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. It's relatively new to be genderqueer. Um, and for my generation, that I think that that label would have just been a, like butch, right? Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, that what, everything you're saying is so... It's right on. And I often think about, like, how misogyny informs that and how pervasive misogyny is within all of us, within our community, and how it's, like, relatively unchecked unless you're really, like, fine tooth combing yourself and thinking about your own misogyny and like even the, the pandemic of AIDS and the acceptance of uh, gay men as long as they were like friendly and fluffy and could do your and like do your makeup and make your house look cute um, but we think about that that moment culturally and the preservation of what happened in that moment and I often think about who was taking care of those men and it was largely their lesbian friends and sisters like that was who was caretaking that community and it's strong and it's important and it's valuable and it's super valuable for young queers to take a look back and think about what came before them and instead of like recoiling from this idea of like a certain type of uh, identity or or going the way of the dinosaur celebrating it and holding it up and digging deep and thinking about how if you are a queer man who was assigned female at birth what's your lineage who came before you that carved out a space uh to make it okay for you to get to the point that culturally you could transition and i'm not saying that all trans men come from a butch background because a lot of them don't a lot of them weren't even identified as as like gay women before i'm not saying you have to go this like that route but i do think that it's important to think about a, a radical woman uh cutting her hair off going against that pre-stone wall fashion of having to have these like three signifiers of of uh clothing or marking that you're female like what rachel maddow essentially has to do for television to stand against societal norms in this way and be like fuck you this is my gender deal with it i'll get arrested for it um that came before you having this golden path of access granted to you to get your medical needs taken care of. And I think it's super important for young queers to recognize that and pay a debt of gratitude to it and not forget it and not just be living on Instagram and thinking about how cute they are and making these scrapbook collections of their, you know, half naked torsos, mostly trans men, um, and celebrating their identities, but celebrating all the identities that came before them and made it safe for them to create the scrapbook of beauty that everyone gets to like. I would love for everyone to turn that around and behind and take a moment to look at the breadth of people that step before you whose shoulders you're standing on. You're, you're a trans man. 
I How heard. Dare you. <laughs> How dare you out me on your podcast? <laughs> I saw on Instagram that you're a trans man. Well, I, yeah, I identify as a man of trans experience. And you were wearing a hat that says, no one knows I'm trans. <laughs> um, can you please... And no one knew until you just outed me. <laughs> you monster. You want me to tell them your address? No. Can you give some tips to my cisgendered male or trans male listeners about how to be cooler guys? <laughs> Always wear your sunglasses. How to work against misogyny um, on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. By no means am I an expert. I'm always working through other layers of my own misogyny. Uh, I think one, like, number one, I would say if you're in a group of mostly women, then do you need to take up the most space? Uh, if you find yourself speaking loudly or over women, um, shut up. <laughs> what if you feel like you know something about sexism that you really want to tell the women about? If you are a strongly identified feminist man, such as myself, um, it might be hard, uh, particularly hard if you come from a background of being identified uh, as with your own um, journey through womanhood, which I feel very... I know that's a controversial thing to say, but at one point I was female identified. Um, and as a result, sometimes when a bunch of women are around me talking about what it's like to be a woman or get your period or something like something specific and centered around femaleness or femininity or whatever, uh, feminism, then I think like, oh, I know about that, but you don't need to contribute your voice because the best way to be a feminist is to let women take up more space than you. <laughs> which is hard i know i'm also a person who's amped up and just really wants to share so i find myself often with a group of people um and if uh if i find like a woman saying something that i really agree with i really want to agree and then i steamroll or talk over and then i can see that i've just done that and then i apologize stop talking and return back to what she was saying and then i'm just quiet Listening is more valuable than talking. If you want to be a good feminist and you're male identified, the best way to do so is by carving out and creating space for women. I think that's really valuable. That's a great way to be an ally to women, in my opinion. Mm. I've had moments before where I have, you know, met or interacted with guys that are just learning about feminism or just learning about queer things or whatever, and they're so excited to tell me every piece of news they found that day about how about something sexist happening or racist or homophobic happening. And then they end up taking up more space, just being like, guess what? The world hates women. And I'm like, <laughs> I already knew that from being a yeah. woman. You know, this can actually just, uh, you can learn from this one because our all interactions are based around gender identity, right? Uh, even if you're just like getting a cup of coffee in the morning, someone reads and observes what they believe your gender is and interact with you as such. So you can just take this foundational piece of like, let women have more space than you. Um, your opinion, your contribution, your uh, voice doesn't need to be the loud voice. The Women's March is a great example. And then I'll come back to what I was saying. But um, at the Women's March, which we went to together, there was a chant that was so grotesque, in my opinion. And it was her body. Wait, how did it go? My body, my choice. And then men would respond, her body, her choice. And that was so fucking vile to me. Because I think if, it, if we're letting 
the women chant at a women's march, then shut the fuck up. I don't need to hear you echo that it's her body and her choice. Just shut up. Your silence (laughs) is a better response to that. You want to know how you can back her up? Letting her have the chant without your male voice in it. I don't know if that's a strong... Because a lot of women are like, no, but that showcases allyship and blah, blah, blah. But I just think... I don't, if I were still female identified, I would have been like, shut the fuck up. I don't need your voice. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I feel like some of this you can like go ahead and apply to other ways to be an ally to other people that have different yeah. amounts of privilege in you. So like if I was at a black power march or a Black Lives Matter thing, I wouldn't be like, make it about me because mm-hmm. I'm such a good ally. Right. But shut the fuck up and just do what I was asked if I was asked to do anything. Yeah. So that's the, that was it is like the foundational piece is like. If you're a man, you just, by your birthright is to have some people's birthright. Some people came to it later in life. Your right as a man, unfortunately, is that you get to take up space in a different way and you have a different level of privilege. That's been gifted to you by the great gods of privilege. But you also have the power to change the way that you're a man by giving women more space than you in your daily life, in every interaction, in your conscious mind, being continually more and more uh, keenly aware of how you're taking up space, particularly around women, how all of your unconscious bias make them conscious biases where you're just uh, like making an actual choice. Like, do I want to give this to a man or a woman? Please pick a woman. (laughs) Um, And then the other piece is once you have that mastered, apply it to all people different than you. So this could be applicable to if you're a cis person and you're with trans people and you know so much about being uh, like you just watched Transparent and you love that show and it changed your mind and trans people are real people. Don't fucking tell a trans person about it. Don't tell a trans person about how you were a good ally. If you're a man and you're trying to be a good ally to women, don't tell applaud yourself to the woman in your life. Don't say like, oh, someone was saying something fucked up about women and I said this. She doesn't need to know. That's the best way to be an ally. Same with being trans, being a white person with the people of color in your life. Don't, don't You don't need accolades for being a good person. Do it because you want to be a good person. And don't inform the person of all the times you're good or all the times that you've observed racism because you're newly conscious about racism or sexism because you're a brand new feminist. Just leave it. Just like, just be better. I do like all the glad awards I get when I tell you that I acted correctly in different, <laughs> different times of day. <laughs> um, I think this is really helpful. Do you have any tips for... Do you have tips for men? Well, I have a question. I have one more question for you and then I'll think if I have tips for men. But I have some cisgendered straight guy friends that, you know, see themselves as friends to women and everything and they get a little bit... I want to say butthurt, but I guess it's homophobic. I don't know how. They get a little butthurt when I'm like, yeah, I just don't want to read narratives by men for a little while. I just mm-hmm. like don't want to take those. In. Like I have different male friends, you know, they have that kind of thing of like, but I try so hard. Like, why do you say you hate men? Cause that means me. Mm-hmm. And like, do you have any, any advice for men or sage words for men about how to not, how can you be a male feminist without just being self-hating mm-hmm. or without taking it personally? You know um, what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it goes back to what I just said. Be better, be better. Like you're better than that. You don't need to participate in that kind of dichotomy. Um, and if a woman doesn't want to hear a male voice, listen to male music, read a, a male narrative, it's because she's inundated. And there's such a scant few uh, like bits and pieces of culture that she has access to that are made for women, about women, celebrating women. 
just fucking accept it and maybe ask, oh, what are you reading? So you're instead of engaging defensively around her decision to consume culture that is made by women because she's constantly being beat against the forehead with the dick of the world, then like just fucking like take a step back and investigate what culture exists so maybe you can learn and maybe you get to think about how much how many books, how many movies, how many stories are told about and for men and that it's revolutionary for a woman to be the main character of anything. Um, consume that culture. I remember being a preteen and my so-called life came out and that fucking show changed my life because it was two girls being best friends. Lead character was a girl who was like nervous, neurotic and an outsider and her other best friend was a, a gay boy of color. Those were things that we didn't see in 1993 or 94, whenever that came out. 92, 93. Yeah. Um, seeing that was so special. And then it got canceled after one season, even though it was the most special show that ever existed in my adolescence. That or Freaks and Geeks, one season. Why? Because it was a female character, right? Female lead character. That's what where I'm coming from, where I just think we don't have a lot of like, the women of the world don't, particularly if she's weird or like not sexy, then we don't get to see that all the time. If she's not made for men, right? If she's made for other women, young women, whatever, outsiders. Um, so I just think maybe that's going way far off. But if you're a man, don't get defensive if a woman says she hates women, uh, men. It's because she has a right to. It's the, it's the inverse of the privilege that you're getting is, uh, is her reacting to that, to the world telling her that she's not valuable or that there's no place for her or no space for her. Just listen. That's the best way to be a feminist. I think that's great. Cool. It's, it's super cool. Thank you this week to Shoshana Ruth Wechter. Have you ever noticed we don't have ads? It's true. I don't tell you about some gross shrimp scampi dish from Blue Apron. It's because we don't take ads right now. However, we do take tips. Please tip producer Chris. Chris Sutton does this out of the goodness of his heart, and he's expecting a baby. You can send Chris a tip by paypaling hornetleg at gmail.com and say tip Chris or something about the podcast, and then we'll thank you on the air. I'll sing your name if you want. Hornetleg, H-O-R-N-E-T-L-E-G at gmail.com. Thank you for your support. You keep the podcast free and ad-free. Adios. Rocco Cayotas is texting, and I'm about to feed you a maple white chocolate bar. The ingredients are everything is organic and fair trade. Cocoa butter, local maple sugar, coconut milk powder, vanilla, sea salt, soy lecithin, Organic extracts. Are you ready to try this? So ready. Okay. Do you want to keep tweeting? No. Okay. Hold on. <laughs> it's from Augustus Luscious, my favorite vegan chocolatier mm. in upstate New York. Just give it a minute. Oh my God. So good. It's vegan maple white chocolate. I can't even believe this is a thing. You should eat the last of it. Oh, thanks. Oh my God. It's actually so sweet, it's been hard for me to get through. Damn, I'm glad because now I get to eat some. Mm-hmm. She had one square left. I had one square to spare. Damn. What's your? What is your? Well, as a vegan, well, I'll say this too. I don't like white chocolate in general, but as a vegan, you don't expect to ever have white chocolate. 
Um, maple is one of my favorite flavors. I never knew that. It tastes like eating a donut, mm-hmm. which is one of my favorite desserts. So, Me too. Our friendship just went to a new level. This is delicious. Okay, this is part of my top three. I just tricked you. Mm. That's part of my top three of the week. Um, what is your top and bottom three of the week? Um, top three. So um, Trisha, my wife, just turned 30. Mm-hmm. That's exciting to me that that she's turning 30. Um, so that's one. A second part of that, which it will be my two, is that I took her to the wildlife center yesterday. So we got to meet uh, two sloths, uh, fennec fox, um, a bunch of porcupines. I got to feed a bunch of porcupines, feed a giraffe. It was a lot of up-close uh, animal interactions. Mm-hmm. So that might be two and three for me. Damn. What about the best thing you ate this week? Oh, shit. The best thing I ate. Um, oh, man. I ate my favorite pizza from Mohawk Alley. They use Follow Your Heart cheese, so it melts really. Mohawk Bend? That's what I meant. Mm-hmm. Mohawk Bend. Mohawk Alley is the animal hospital. <laughs> that was my bottom three. My cat's sick, so I had to take mm-hmm. his poop to the doctor and then take him to the doctor. So that's my bottom. Mm. this week but that pizza have you eaten that pizza no oh it's good <laughs> why why are you against it why do you hate pizza <laughs> i don't eat pizza but it's rare that i can just go whole hog on some wheat like that don't make a gluten-free version grains you what, know? and the other thing can i say the top dessert yeah um the top dessert that i ate was uh at this place with a very unfortunate name it's called yoga urt I love that place. It's too far away, but yeah. Well, I take the dog to this equestrian center to run free, and it's a mile from there. So we should take your dog to the equestrian center. They can run free, and then we can enjoy that ice cream. It's all vegan, all gluten-free. Everything there is vegan and gluten-free, including, like, the waffle cones and all the toppings. Um, Yep. They uh, put probiotics in it, so it's good for you. Mm -hmm. Um, They sweeten things with dates when they can, so they're not using, like, cane sugar, which is nice. Um, and they had my favorite flavor, green tea. Yeah. I know. <laughs> green tea and mochi is so good. Peanut butter is obviously the correct choice. Well, I had peanut butter too. Okay, good. That combo is delicious too. We're friends. Sweet and savory. Um, my top three were this maple white chocolate bar. Uh, Ponyo has a twin on Instagram named Kiwi. Find <laughs> Kiwis. Something called the Kiwi's Big Adventure on Instagram. Oh, cute. Um, I don't know what else. Honestly, I don't know what else was my top. I had a pretty great creme brulee donut from Donut Friend. That was a raised donut with cream in the center, and then the top was like a creme brulee top that had been torched, so it was ice creamy. I've been having a punk week. I'm going to tell you what happened during punk week. I had that donut before. Mm. So good. During punk week, I, A, was at Cafe Gratitude. And we saw the person at the table next to us was a bro who had ordered a raw lasagna. Mm. And he didn't eat any of it. He was like, ew, raw. So he left the whole thing there. Wait, so, he went to a raw restaurant and didn't realize that his food would be raw? Yeah. So he's like, I can't eat this. What the So fuck? when he left, we took it off his table and took it home. That was punk. Score. That table was score. punk week number one. Yeah. A little too old for this. Yeah. Number two. How old was the person you were with? 30. Uh-huh. I'm 36. Uh-huh. Number two, uh, scored a shower rod out of a garbage can. Nice. My friend took, was like, "That's you're, you're in the garbage can. I was like, yeah, I'm getting in the garbage can. <laughs> uh, and then the last thing was that I was walking out of Donut Row with my creme brulee donut, and I saw, this was the most controversial, I saw a full, a full cold brew, 
with the lid on, like a cold cup with the lid on, on top of the garbage can. <laughs> I went for that. I was like, God is my my higher power is providing. <laughs> so I was sipping that. I just took the lid off and was sipping on it. It looked like someone had forgotten it there 20 minutes earlier. And then a blonde lady walked by me and went, Ugh! and it startled me. And so the lid fell in the gutter, and then I couldn't. Fi- I found that I couldn't drink the rest. I found that then my higher power was telling me Don't it's too it. much because oh. I wasn't going to bring this f- half full garbage coffee into the car with no <laughs> lid. <laughs> that was Punk Week. Thank you very much. Isaac Soloway Strozier is a Los Angeles native living in New York, and he's also just a cool guy that I know. He's 20 years old. He's got a lot of great things to say, and he is easily disgusted by my vegan food innovations, which is one of my favorite things. Please enjoy my talk with Isaac Soloway Strozier. Isaac Soloway Strozier, welcome to Sagittarian Matters. It's such an honor. It's I'm a long time... Listener, first time caller. We are doing a segment right now called Tops and Bottoms. We are going to talk about my tops of the week and your bottoms of the week. Your tops and my bottoms, sure. My tops, your bottoms. Okay, the first one, my top of the week is eating a rice cake with peanut butter, sriracha, and nutritional yeast. Does that sound like punishment food to you? It does, A, because I would die because I'm allergic to peanut butter. I'm allergic to peanuts. But if I imagine it's almond butter, which I hear is tastes similar, uh, it's still gross because of the, of the sriracha and almond butter on bread. That's what it was on. What was it on? Rice cake. Rice cake. Uh, I don't know. It's just uh, I don't. It's not my. It's not your thing. I wouldn't make it. Well, don't you like peanut sauce? Or I guess you don't. I don't like peanut sauce. Almond. I get fish sauce. Oh, you get f- fish sauce because mm-hmm. you're not like me. No. We're very oh, different. You can't even eat fish sauce, can, can you? No. Wow. What's the grossest thing you've ever seen me do? Uh, Nicole once used a tomato as a chip while eating guacamole. And not not because there was anything wrong with the chip. It wasn't like there was a dietary thing with the chip. It was that she wanted she wanted to eat the guacamole on the tomato. And I don't know why it made me so angry, but it really did. It sort of started this podca- this segment of the podcast. Well, because I looked up and Isaac was looking at me and he had a, a look of disgust on his face. It was bagels. Bagels were out. We were eating bagels. There was onions, tomatoes, mm-hmm. and then for some reason there was guacamole. And I, I was... Think th- I think the guacamole was from a previous meal. I was innovating by using a tomato as my bagel. And uh, he did not like that. The look on his face was repulsion. Yeah, I um, I don't know why it was so... Oh, maybe I, was, I was dipping a pickle into guacamole. Was that what it was? That's what it was. That's so much worse than a tomato. Because a tomato, there's tomatoes in guacamole a lot of the time. Yeah. So it seems a little weird if I am get that angry when I see a tomato with guacamole. A pickle dipped in a guacamole. Pickle. Now, that's a whole other thing. It's also... Someone's going to tell me I'm wrong. But in what food are pickles and guacamole together ever? Right? It's rare that they make an appearance at the same party. They would never be together. I feel like they're from different parts of the world. But I guess anyone can pickle. Where do pickles come from? I mean, you can have escabeche, which is like pickled vegetables at a Mexican restaurant. But would you dip it? But first of all, that's not what it was. It was like Vlasin's classic pickle. It's true. It wasn't wasn't a 
I don't know. It's just something about it I didn't like. He didn't like it. He looked disgusted, and I thought, hey, we should do this as a segment for the podcast. The pickle was also kind of watery. Like, it, you know, you get to take it right right when it comes out of the jar and it's covered in water. And it something about pickle wa- or pickle juice and guacamole um, uh, really upset me. I don't know why. Now, I'll tell you my other top of the week was going to Lisa Vanderpump's World Dog Day that happened in West Hollywood outside of Vanderpump Pets. It was a street fair dedicated to dogs and rescuing dogs. And then there was a lot of that kind of like West Hollywood dog dressing up, Mm -hmm. pampering, dogs that were dyed, dogs wearing sunglasses, dog fashion show. Lisa Vanderpump was on hand with her husband to Ken. do Ken to do selfies for two dollars a pop. They were both holding plastic buckets full of dollar bills, um, and they, it went to charity. Also, there was a woman there named the Pink Lady of Hollywood, who apparently is quasi famous on social media for wearing all pink, and she wanted to charge me twenty dollars, the price of a book, uh, in order to have Ponyo's photo taken on her lap. Ponyo and I got to walk the green carpet. It was an AstroTurf dog-friendly carpet. But we were behind uh, professional athletes, actors, and child actors. And so we were like two garbage hobos just caught out of a trash can. (laughs) And the paparazzi were like yelling, we're disappointed. No. No. That's what it felt like. That's what it felt. But I don't care. We were there anyway. We were strutting our stuff, Uh wearing matching bandana and shirt, promoting fetch. I've already gotten upset with Nicole. See, this is why we shouldn't talk before we go on the podcast. Because she did not pay the $2 for a photo with either Ken or Lisa Vanderpump. Was it with both of them or was it either? They were both rogue, one at a time. <laughs> one at a time, okay. And so it was the, the, a photo with each would be $4 in total. Yeah. Now, that's, a, that's a pretty big investment. <laughs> it's a pretty big investment. This mo- money, though, is not going to Ken and Lisa Vanderpump. It's going to some kind of a dog charity, right? Yeah. And so in another, if someone said, Nicole, would you want to donate $4 to a dog charity as your prize... You get a photo with Ken and Lisa Vanderpump for only $4, you would say, of course. Yes, but I just think I I didn't understand. I just, I don't watch the show, so I wasn't, people had to say, that's her husband. And I was like, oh, cool, someone's husband. And also, like, he, so he was available for selfies, but she looked a little bit busy. And so I didn't want to trouble her because I feel a little bit of anxiety here about harassing celebrities and invading their personal space. And so I didn't understand that she was giving out selfies until way later. I think when I was there the first part of the day, she was a little bit harried and like running around. And there's, the people that follow her around are weird people. Like they're not cool people that flock around her. They're like sincere weirdos that watch Bravo too much. And then they show up and they're like, Lisa, Lisa, like... They look, they're like middle America kind of like real housewives. And I I wanted to I wanted to like not be one of them. Yeah. But now I see I should have just gone for it. Just go for but it. But I was like getting heat stroke. The dog was getting heat stroke. It was like ninety degrees. We were in the heat. My bottom of the day is bleeding period blood in a lift on the seat of a lift on my way out of dog dog town. Disgusting. Am I allowed to go? Am I allowed to talk about a, a certain underwear brand? Yeah, go ahead. Be, do we do be my guest? I got a free. I got some free Thinks. She got some free Thinks that doesn't even work. It seems Thinks is the period underwear. It's like wearing a sexy diaper. You know, I mean, it's like it's basically like 
bleed away. Just wear this black underwear. And you, so then it's like, no, you know, I, w- I wish it was a real diaper. I wish there was plastic around the edges. I wish they made a changing table. But anyway, I was wearing my thinks and like a tampon like you're supposed to. And then when I was getting out of this lift, which had other people needed to drop off, I was like, goodbye. Thank you for the ride. And as the door was swinging shut, I glanced at the seat where I had been and I saw like a stripe. Oh, boy. <laughs> On top of all that, I hear the CEO of Thinks is uh, sexually harassing women left and right. The CEO. The CEO. She may have been deposed. Is the CEO sort of condescending? It, it seems a little. It's like it seems a little bit unnecessary. Oh, I just got attacked by your dog. <laughs> he was just petting Ponyo when he pet her a little too hard, and she turned on him. And she turned on me. Yeah, she turned fast. Producer Ponyo was. She was trying hard to like do the level. She wasn't looking for that. But uh, yeah, the the CEO has been deposed for sexually harassing people, asking them to see their nipple rings in the office. I love things. I really like that I get to wear uh, essentially a diaper that looks like sexy underwear. Uh, but I did not want to be bleeding in this guy's homemade taxi. And for that, I feel very sorry. Did you have any other bottoms of the week? Let's... For that reason, I'm out. For that reason, I'm out. Do you have a favorite Shark Tank pitch? I watched Shark Tank last night. Or I take that back two nights ago. Go Maybe ahead. it was last night, actually. Maybe not. Very interesting. Um, and there was... I'm trying to remember what was on there. There was a couple good ones. Um, There was a woman who had a company that sold videos from Santa for your kids. And she saw this as a really big business because she could do Easter. And that was it. She had a whole... She said, "I I can do this for so many other holidays. Easter... (laughs) <laughs> no, it was it was Easter and then the summer because because Santa goes on vacation in the summer and there was some other thing. So that I don't think she made any money for that one because she was trying to expand and they said you can't ex- if if it's a, what other holiday would it make sense for you to get a letter from someone other than Santa? Tooth Claus? fairy, obviously. She said she did bring up the tooth fairy. <laughs> she brought up the tooth fairy as another area that she could go in, but the sharks weren't having it. What do you think makes a strong Shark Tank pitch? I think if you know your numbers, I think that's the... A lot of times they'll ask questions and the, uh, the, 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 the pitcher, the person in the, in the thing, won't really know the answer. They'll be fuzzy. And I feel like that scares off the sharks. Mm-hmm. Um, and just a good product. You just need... If, you, if you've got a, a good product, we'll sell. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sagittarian Matters is produced by Chris Sutton, with assistance by Ponyo Georges. Our theme music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs of the band Bouquet. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time.